Trail of Tears, part two, my continuing interview. There were some emotional questions being asked of me. Um, And I'm going to show my emotions. I want all of you to hear all of the emotions that I'm going through. There was a time in my life when I thought, what am I doing here? I keep asking that question. Why am I here in this part of the world that I'm not even comfortable being in? You know, when you try so hard to make it as a woman in this day and age, you say to yourself, am I doing something wrong? I feel like everywhere I turn is a dead end. I've never had one ounce of peace in my life. There's been chaos. There's been drama. And then, of course, let's talk about the past. The past always has a way of catching up with you, right? I will not let my past come near me because the day that happens is the day that I will run far away from my past. I don't want them to find me, especially the first ex I was with. His intention was to take me out of this world, but he didn't. I got away and I survived. But still, to all of you women that are out there thinking, well, there's no way for me to get out of this abusive relationship. Think again. You have a voice. You have a right to defend yourself. Don't stay with someone who's going to hurt you. That's not love. It's not love. And as far as everything else that happened to me, yes, I had a hard time. And I still have a hard time getting close to people. Because in the past, when I had my so-called ex-friends, Yeah, they weren't friends at all. They tried to hurt me. They hurt me pretty bad. And I learned to stand on my own two feet by myself in this world. So it's like me against the world. So we're going to continue because there's a lot of things to talk about. We're going to continue with part two of Trail of Tears. The last time I spoke with you, you had said to me, or I even when I read through your manuscript, I was emotional. There were a lot of things that made me cry. I see you as you're sitting across from me, the type of woman you could be. So let me ask you this question, and and I'm going to get right into it. Let's jump ahead a little bit. Let's talk about your breast cancer. Can you tell the world exactly how you found out you had breast cancer? I was 35, and I was staring or standing in front of the mirror, actually. And I felt something in my left breast. I said, So I did these self breast examinations, which I advise all women of all ages to do because your body goes through changes, especially your breasts. So I found something, but I didn't know what it was. And I put it off. I was like, yeah, it's probably nothing. You know, I didn't really think anything at the time that it could be something serious. But then I kept coming back to it. And I felt that it was getting bigger and bigger. So I made an appointment with a breast specialist. And they did a biopsy. And they came back with the result that you have a malignant tumor growing in your breast. And it needs to be taken out right away. And the result was stage three advanced metastatic breast cancer. When people ask me, well, what is metastatic? Metastatic is cancer that goes to other parts of the body. 
So not only in the cancer where it was at, it was in the breast, they believed at the time it spread to another part of the body. They were actually concerned about my lungs. And they'd said to me, well, do you have a history? But I said, well, my father passed away from lung cancer, you know, at the age of 63. But as far as breast cancer, no. There was no known history of it on either my father or mother's family. So I am trying to figure out how I got it. You know, cancer is in all of our bodies. We're going to get cancer in our lifetime. The question is, when you get a diagnosis like that, how are you going to handle it? Now, for me, I didn't show any emotion. I was poker face because I knew I waited long enough for the tumor to get big. It was increasing at a rapid rate. And I thought, oh, my God, it's going to spread and it's going to go all over my body. I'm not going to have a fighting chance. So were you scared? I was scared. I'll admit it to you. Yes, I was scared. And again, everybody who thinks of the word cancer automatically thinks they're going to die. But with the new advanced technological advancements and medicines that are out there, there's hope. And if you think about the people who have gone through not just breast cancer, but all cancers in this day and age, there's all this new medicine and new technology coming out every single year. So your chances of living increase more so than, than if they told you. Like how my father had lung cancer back in the 20th century, there wasn't any hope. You know, and there's a part of me that when I went through my cancer, I had always wondered what would have been like if my father had survived and he found out that his youngest daughter was battling the fight of her life. How would he handle it? This is one question I wanted to ask you. How did your father handle any type of illness? My father was an emotional man. He was an emotional man. He cried easily. He was a brave man. I said, good for you, Dad, because not many men would cry. A lot of people think that men who cry are weak, and that crying is a weakness. Far from it. It's the opposite. Crying is a strength. If you ask yourself this, if you knew someone in your family, your wife or your girlfriend or your children, whoever's in your life was battling an illness, battling for their life, wouldn't you show emotion? If you tell me I can't because I'm a man and I have to be strong, no, it's okay to cry. So my father did cry. My father cried when my mother was in the hospital with a blood disorder. My father cried when my older sister got into a bad car accident. When, I, when they went to see her, she had temporary amnesia. So she didn't know who they were. Um, he cried when... Um, when my mother again landed in the hospital from another blood disorder, she has anemia. Uh, he was worried that he was going to lose the love of his life, and that was it. And the first time I saw him crying, she, he goes, I can't live without her. She's the love of my life. I don't know what I would do. My life would completely change if she was gone. I said, Dad, you have to be strong. You've got to pray to God. Pray to God. Let him hear you. Pray for a miracle. You're not going to lose mom, but you have to be strong for her. But he showed his emotion. And I was always, I revered in that my father was a man that cried easily. He didn't care. Even if he was out in public, he didn't care. Crying is a strength. And I sometimes beat myself up, even when I had the diagnosis of cancer. Can I survive it? The answer to that question, yes. Anybody who goes through a cancer diagnosis, whether it's breast, lung, liver, colon, prostate, all the cancers that are out there, there is a fighting chance. And you have to be the one to step up to the plate. And you have to be the one to fight as hard as hell to live, 
to have your life spared, to have your life, you know, increase. You want to have that urge, urgency to live. You know, think about this. You have family in your life, somebody special to you. You're doing it not only for yourself, but for them. And if you have children, you have to also do it for them. Children get childhood leukemia. I knew of a young girl back in the day that she had childhood leukemia. And every time her parents were taken for treatment, they would keep telling doctors would say, oh, she's not going to make it to her, her fifth birthday. She's not going to make it to her 10th birthday. She's not going to be a teenager. Well, guess what? This little girl defeated the odds and lived. Because sometimes a doctor will tell you that just to put those that fear in you. With me, he had said, my oncologist did an amazing job because he said to me, if you don't have the chemotherapy and radiation right away, you could die, basically. That's basically what he told me. He gave me a death sentence. But guess what? I got through it. I went through the, the hardest fight of my life. I went through six months of very aggressive chemotherapy. Every side effect you can think of, every side effect, not just the loss of the hair, which I knew that was going to happen. Not just the loss of appetite, which I knew that was going to happen. All the other things combined. The medications were giving me these powerful side effects. I couldn't move around. I was tired all the time. I would land in the hospital twice. So you got through it. And you had the grace of your mother to get through it. My mother was my lifesaver, yes. She had prayed to God every single night. She went to church. She said, look, this is my youngest daughter. I lost my husband to lung cancer many years ago. I don't want to lose my youngest daughter. I think that her fear was if she lost me to, to, to breast cancer, then her life would just stop. She would stop living. Because she had said to me, I can't go on knowing that you're not going to be on this earth. And I said, Mom, don't talk like that. I will fight for you. I will fight as much as I can to stay on this earth. I will do my very best to do that. But see, a part of me was so scared. A part of me was just, you know, what happens if I hadn't made it? And I am pretty sure I know exactly how my mother would just stop living. She would starve herself. That would be number one. She would get herself very sick. So I made it. I, I fought like hell for her. You know, there was a time in my life when I... I didn't want to do it. And the reason why I didn't want to stay was I was living with an ex at the time, five years. This was a man that just didn't care if I lived or died. This was a man that put me through hell even when I was going through my illness. This was a man that when I had a kidney attack, he left me at the hospital with pain because he couldn't handle it. Now you ask yourself, you have somebody who claims they love you and they do that to you? Then that's not love. He claimed that when I told him or he found out that I had the disease, he broke down and cried. And then what happened after that? He didn't want to be near me. My mother was the one who took care of me. She made me feel comfortable. She took away the pain. She fed me. She made sure I took my medication. I had gone to the doctor back and forth for treatment. Her and my sister both because they didn't want to see my life stop at the age of 35. So I continued on the fight. And the tumor that was growing in my breast, again, a nine centimeter tumor. Can you imagine a nine centimeter tumor growing very rapidly? And it was, there was a chance that it could have gone to the lungs, but it didn't. I was spared from that. My life was saved because the drug that they gave me, at the time it was approved for colon cancer. 
But guess what? They approved it for breast cancer, and the tumor disappeared. But I got my life back, and I got that second chance. So tell me something. What was the... I, I mentioned last time when I spoke with you, Chadwick Boseman. What's the connection between the two of you? Well, I didn't know him personally, but my LinkedIn friend at the time had said, you have something in common with Chadwick Boseman. You both had cancer. I said, yes, but that's it. I had breast cancer at the age of 35 and survived. He had colon cancer. He passed away at the age of 43. Where's the connection? You both had cancer. But I didn't hide from my illness. He did. And I think the reason why he did that, because the only people that knew he was sick was his immediate family. I guess he didn't want the whole world to know what he was battling. None of his co-stars or people he worked with, they didn't know. But you know what I found out? When I watched the movie Black Panther, you could tell from one cancer person to another, there you could tell person has cancer it's very noticeable the signs and you say to yourself but why was he ashamed to come out to the world and say hey look I'm battling cancer I'm battling the fight of my life maybe he was and I and I had said to my LinkedIn contact I would have liked to have met him in person say hey look I went through it you know not the same cancer but I went through everything the chemotherapy the radiation I landed in the hospital and I got through it and I survived it. And I know if he was alive, I would have said to him, if you're still battling cancer, I would have said, you can get through it too. You've got the support of your family, but not just your family, everybody loves you. You know, and I looked at his autobiography and I saw a man that worked, went around to, hus- to, to ho- uh, children in hospitals that were battling leukemia, children with cancer. He went around and he visited them and he did what he did. And it was very commendable. And then when he was still working, you could tell he was very tired, but he continued on even though he went through the whole chemo, and, but he didn't make it. And when every time I think about when he passed away, his death haunts me even to this day. I say to myself, the people that I had in contact with that I knew passed away from cancer, because I, I paid a special tribute to him, and there were one time they put me out on LinkedIn Live and they said, let's compare her story with his story. What's the difference? The difference is that I survived and he didn't, but I would have liked to have met him, explained to him what I went through. You know, I, I you know, again, I didn't know him personally, but I admired his work, constant actor. He had so much promise, so much promise in his life. And, and now they, they had the remake of Black Panther, but they didn't replace his character. It's kind of hard to replace someone that is great at what he did and was in that role, he he made that role, he created that role, and if you tell me we're going to replace him, with who? Nobody can replace the great Chadwick Boseman. His anniversary is actually, or his two-year two year anniversary of his death is on August 28th. My father would have been in his 90s if he would have lived, because since my father's birthday was August 28th. So it's just very eerie and shocking and a little bit coincidental. 
you also mentioned I, I think you mentioned this to me I looked at it on your manuscript you had said 3663 what does that mean well okay so my father passed away at the age of 63 I had battled cancer a year and a half when I was fully recovered, I recovered at the age of 36. If you take 36, twist the numbers around, reverse them, 63, 36, is that a coincidence or what? But you didn't have, I didn't have a premonition, I told you I had a premonition about my father dying in the next two years, but I didn't know from what. In my dream, it wasn't cancer. The cause of death was unknown, but I didn't think he was going to pass away from lung cancer at that early age. It never really crossed my mind. When you say to yourself, there's so many other illnesses out there, and, and I thought, my father can, if my father can survive two heart attacks and every other ailment that he had, why couldn't he have survived cancer? Then when I got the clean bill of health and I was cancer-free, I felt guilty. I said, you know, I got a second chance, and he didn't. A part of me cried tears of joy. At the same time, I cried tears of happiness. And my mother was over the moon because she had her prayer. She said to God, thank you for sparing my daughter. Thank you. Now my, you know, God gave me a second chance. I have to fulfill the mission I'm set out to complete because I promised God. I can't let him down. I can't go back on my word, you know. But I say to all the people out there who are battling cancer, don't give up the fight. Fight like you want to stay on this earth for a long time. You know, again, cancer is scary. I'll admit it to you. But it doesn't have to be a death sentence, okay? Um, and you can get through it. If you get that support system of family, friends, or other survivors. So sometimes other survivors volunteer and help you through it. I've, I've gone through all of the painful side effects. You know, I've gone through everything that you could think of and managed to get through. But sometimes I feel guilty. 17 years survived. Congratulations. Thank you. You know, everything I've dealt with in my lifetime has been a challenge. You know, even when I when I was cancer-free and I was ready to go back into the real world, people treated me very differently. Now, I saw situations and people in life very different from before. I was more of a person that kind of kept to myself. You know, I am a private person, I'll admit it to you, and there are things I could really talk about, but there are things that just make me cry. Um, and again, I've lost so many people. You know, I've had a hard time opening up to people. Can I ask you a question, if you don't mind me asking? Sure. I know you said you lost a lot of people in your life. You know, your, your father, your uncle, your aunt, grandmother, mother. I lost so many people. I can't keep track. Even I lost family, friends, or people that I associated with growing up. I went to all these funerals. And what did that teach me? That life is short. So the time on this earth is very limited. That's what it taught me. The people that you have in your life, make time for them. You know, no excuses. You know, I see how people get so wrapped up in their lives that they don't have time. They don't have time. They make excuses. Oh, I'll see you next year. We've got plenty of time. No, we don't. Let's put it in this perspective. 
I don't want to sound morbid to any of you, but just put the scenario out there. Say you're going to make plans with someone you haven't seen in a long time, but you keep putting it off. You keep making excuses. So what happens one day? You get the bad news that the person you were supposed to have met up with dies. Then what? The guilt. The guilt comes at you. And you start blaming yourself. Oh, you know, it's my fault. I could have spent time with him. I kept making excuses. I kept changing. Because again, life is short. The time on this earth that we have is very limited. We have to spend as much time with the people in our lives as much as possible because you just don't know what's around the corner. I've always stressed this to people. Work. Put work second. Work is really not important. Yes, in this day and age it is because of the times we're living in now, but think of it this way. For me, in my perspective, people are more important than a job. Think about that. Your family, your spouse, your children, whoever's in your life, put them at the top. If you keep telling me, well, you know, I have to make a living, I have to provide for my family and give them food and shelter, I understand that. We all have to do that. But at some time, if we work ourselves to death, we will end up sick. If I look at my father as a perfect example of his work ethic. Growing up, he worked, he had two jobs. He worked in a nightclub one day out of the weekend, and then he worked in a factory five days a week. But the times that we spent were, you know, we got together as a family, had dinner. You don't see that anymore. <clears throat> In today's world, everybody's so into their technology with their phones next to them. Shut your phone off. Spend some time with your family. You know, technology, I think, in my personal opinion, a lot of people may not agree with me. And then a lot of people who are old school might. <clears throat> Social media and all this technology is ruining this country. Because we don't spend time again with the people we love. We don't have conversations like we used to. You know, I, I grew up in a decade where we had dinner every night. I miss that. Now that I'm by myself, I eat dinner by myself. I don't really have that closeness. I'm like by myself, either watching television or being on the phone or whatever. It is not the same thing. If you ask yourself, in, in all, the, all the things that I've gone through, I miss everything. All the family get-togethers, the holidays, everything we did as a family, no more. Because now the people in my life are gone. And I always sometimes blame myself, oh, I could have done this with them, I should have done, coulda, woulda, shoulda. If you put that, you blame yourself every single time or you procrastinate, that's what happens. And a person is no longer coming back because now you'll be going to their funeral, if anything. You also touched on this topic, and I th- I've seen it too, but I heard about it. You said that more people show up at funerals than at any other celebration or function. Yes. I. You know why? Think about the people in your life. Think about someone that you admire, someone that had done something that inspired you. That person will not get that recognition when they're alive. They wait until the person dies, and then they get that recognition. Why is that? So in other words, we have to wait until we go before someone can say, hey, let's put her out there. You know, let, you know, she did all of this. She did. She was. You put everybody in the past tense. Don't do that. Recognize somebody's accomplishments and talents now and praise them now while they're alive 
versus when they're gone because when they're gone they're not gonna know no one's gonna know what was said about you let's be realistic about that and when i put up that post on linkedin a surprising number of people a huge percentage said a lot of people go to more funerals than any other type of celebration you always and i've seen people make excuses you know when there's an invitation to a wedding they try to back out of it a party a celebration of some sort a funeral you can't back out that's not the that's proper that's proper because you have to show up to pay your respect if it was somebody in your family a friend a colleague, whoever was in your in your life that meant something to you, you have to be there. You see how many people turn out for funerals? A large percentage of people. But I still don't get the whole connection between how people get more of a, a, a remembrance, a memorialized service of them when they're gone versus when they're alive. Because when you're alive, you don't matter. It's a sad day and age. You know, and I've also picked up on the term rest in peace, R.I.P., you don't have to necessarily say that to someone who's gone. You can say that to someone who's going through an illness. Rest in peace. You know, show that you have your caring, your understanding, your kind, compassionate towards a human being who's going through that type of pain. Because again, in this day and age, we have to think about the people that are in our life. We can't make excuses every single time. The more excuses you make, the more you're going to say to yourself, why didn't I spend time with this person? Why didn't I give them my attention and my time? Now they're gone. Now I got to see them at a funeral. They won't know that I was there. They won't know what, I was, what was said about them. Ask yourself that question. You know, the people that I've lost in my life, I said, I don't know if I can go through this again. I was trying to figure out who I am. You're Aphrodite, a survivor. But I'm Aphrodite who also lost a lot of people in her life. I would shut myself off from people because I didn't want to get hurt. I did not want to play the victim anymore. don't want to play the victim anymore. I want to be the heroine the wonder woman that everybody calls me you are like a wonder woman though. you've survived breast cancer you survived life now I, I do want to touch on another subject though let me go back a little bit so tell me about the time you almost took your life hoping you wouldn't bring it up. You talk about suicide, right? And you say to yourself, why would you even take your life, the life that was given to you, right? Because it is the greatest sin in the world to take your life. You know, you're right. I mean, I, and I have said that. And I've always said, why do people kill themselves? What's the reasoning behind that? Why is life so bad that that's the only option for them? Because when you think about it, that is not an option. That's permanent. You can't come back and say, hey, look, everybody, I'm back. You can't. That's unrealistic. But, you know, it's funny. I have helped people. I've actually saved people from hurting themselves, from taking their own life. 
And one person said to me, do you know, did you ever stop to listen to your own words? And I said, no, you make sense. Why don't you take that advice you give to others and apply it to yourself? I said, because if I tried to do that, it would backfire on me. What do you mean? I'm going to be honest with you. Every time I give advice to someone who I think is going to terminate their life, I feel like, okay, I am helping them see that life is worth living. You know, we all have a purpose in our lifetime. We all have a mission and a goal in our lifetime. What, may, what, what can that be? If you ask yourself this question, what can that be, right? But I say to you, and I say to all of you out there, any one of you who's struggling right now, right this very minute, Do yourselves a favor. Don't go down that path of destruction because once you make the decision to go down the path of darkness, I could tell you right this minute, it's too late to turn back. You made a final conscious decision of your own to say, hey, look, I'm not worth being in this life. I don't have any meaning, any purpose. Yes, you do. How many times have I said that to myself? When I lost many people, I said, what am I doing here? What am I doing here? But I will tell you, I did try. I did try. I didn't succeed, though. I stopped myself. I went to this... I drove to this place that I go to sometimes to think. It's a beautiful place. It's got the scenery of New York City and it has a little bit of a park. It's like a park-like, but it's at, a, at, a, at a, the edge of a cliff. And at the time, I was having some issue with my ex. This was before I got sick because, again, he would fight with me. He would say horrible things to me. He would just make me feel like I wasn't beautiful. I'm a sensitive woman. I'll admit it to you. I don't like my my feelings and emotions getting hurt. But I wasn't thinking at that right frame of mind. And I drove. I drove up to the cliff. I got out of the car. And I looked down to the water and I said, I wish I had wings and I could soar and fly, but I know that that's unrealistic, right? Because again, when you take two steps and you get closer to the edge, you're not gonna fly, you're gonna go straight down into the water and just die. And I thought of all the people in my life. I said, oh my God, I can't do this. I'm thinking about my mother, I cannot leave her. She would not understand why a young woman like yourself took your life. For what? For him? Oh, come on now. You could do better. Voice in my head said that. You have a purpose in this life. If there's somebody that's not treating you well, that's no reason to hurt yourself. You have every right, whether you're a man or a woman, that's been into a situation like this, to make the conscious decision to say, hey, look, I'm not going to take my life over that person. If they don't want to be with me, so be it. I will find someone better. Because to get to the time, I wasn't really thinking. And I was getting ready to. But I held myself back. I said, no, it's not worth it. I want to see where my life is going to go. Maybe down the line, I can improve someone's life. You know, be a, a, a someone who inspires other people, someone who can make a difference, and not just to one person, but a group of people. I have that capability. I know that I could do it. 
But if I kill myself, I'm not going to know. You know, one day I could fall in love. One day I can get married. One day I can really be recognized in this world. But how am I going to do that if I do decide to end my life? You know, again, taking your life, that's the greatest sin. Why would you do that? You know, life is difficult and very challenging. Right now we're living in the most difficult time of our lives. But you have to know how to survive. Look at me as a survivor. I survived life, I survived cancer, I survived abuse, I survived assault, I survived death six times. My life plays out like a TV movie. Me as a starring role. I can possibly do that, and we want you to do that. We want you to be the next woman to do that. Because you will make an impact on all the people that you're helping. All the people, the people. In other words, young and old, men and women, children, everybody. And anybody who's going through depression, suicide, loneliness, and abuse. You've gone through it. I have. And I'm still here. But the thing that... The one person that actually helped me see that life can be beautiful was my mother. My mother was an angel to me. I got close to her after my father passed away. That it took that long for me to develop the bond with her. Because when I was a baby, and I didn't know this, I was told this by other family members, that after she had me, she almost died. That was number one. And number two, we didn't bond right away. You know how when a pregnant woman gives birth and her baby's given to her? She was too sick. The, the nurses felt that we don't want to expose me to my mother's sickness because, you know, she didn't want me to get her illness. She was very sick. She lost a lot of blood. You know, she had to have a hysterectomy after she had me. And a month, of, month and a half of my bonding with her was lost. And, I mean, I love my mother. I love her to this day. And even when I was a little girl. But again, I developed a close bond with my father. And again, when he passed away, my mother came back into the picture. And we had that special closeness. And she saw me go through the worst hell in my life. She says, I don't understand how a beautiful young woman like yourself would think, would think of hurting herself. Don't ever tell me you're going to take your life. I said, Mom, I have not done anything other than survive cancer. That's the only thing I've accomplished. Where has my life gone? A series of dead ends. A series of rejection. I'm still being rejected in this world. But, but wait a minute now. What makes you think you are? Well, I'm different from everybody. A lot of people don't even expect accept me now. Is that all in your head? No, that's not in my head. A lot of people have not accepted me. I don't know if it's because of this part of the world. I mean, a lot of people think it's really difficult living in this part of the world because you got to prove yourself. And I thought I had proved myself many times over. I thought, you know, maybe there's a shot that someone will recognize me. A year ago, I was put on LinkedIn Live by my close LinkedIn contact, and he put me out there. And a lot of people saw it, but then a lot of people didn't. And they said, well, maybe one day down the line, someone will stumble across the video and see it and then will want to get to know me. I want to be known in the spotlight for everything I can do for people. I want to be known as a a goodwill ambassador down the line. I also want to help people in need. 
you know, people from the poor countries. See, there's a country right now that's near and dear to me. And I want to know if I can make a difference. But I'm always afraid of not getting accepted. And one of my LinkedIn contacts says, oh, yes, we will welcome you with open arms. Because you have that compassion. I hear it in your voice, that drive, that warmness, the kindness. We listen to your podcast and you're helping so many people. You're a lifesaver. You're a, he had said to me, I'm a mother to the world. Maybe. I don't know. Well, that's an honor, isn't it? Yeah, it is an honor, but how am I helping people? I'm not physically there. I'm, I'm, you know, doing it through a podcast. So eventually I wanted to do it through a video web series because I want people to really see the emotions that I'm displaying. You can hear it in my voice when I cry and I talk about different things. But I will reflect to you one thing. My mother, tell me about her. What was she like? She was a great teacher, nurse, fantastic mother and, and wife. My father adored her. I mean, my God, their love story is like a, a story for everybody to see. You know, if I can go back and, and replicate what they had gone through in their life, I would. I, I look at them as an inspiration. You know, they, they weathered many crises together. They went through so many challenges together. That's how it should be. My father never once with the time that he was with her, even when he was away from her, never looked at another woman. Why? Because that would be hurtful to do that. When you have somebody that you're invested in, you love them so much, you will sacrifice your life. And that's what he did. He sacrificed his life. He worked hard and he won her. They had a beautiful marriage. They had us girls. He was a happy man. He was the only man in a, in a a house filled with women. All the neighbors used to joke around and say, Hey, John, you're lucky. You're the only man with a house filled with women. My father didn't mind. And I think to myself, my mother, I learned a lot from her. But when she passed, it was hurtful for me. I think about the time when she was in pain. And I said, Mom, I need you still. You know, I was in my mid-40s when I lost my mother. My life stopped. I said, what am I here for? I could hear her voice in my head. And she said to me, we had this conversation even before. She said to me, life goes on. You have to continue with the cycle of life. You have to. And you have to say to yourself, I'm going to get through this life. And I'm going to go out there and make something of myself and help others along the way because you were given that second chance by God. Do not disappoint me. And you know, you know what else you will find? Happiness. She said she had prayed to God. Now that she's in the home of God, she prayed to God because she goes, every time I look down below, I see you crying. I don't see happiness. I see tears. I know that you're alone. She left me at a time when I, and I had predicted this. There was another premonition. I said to my mother, how am I going to go on without you? You have to. There's nothing that you can tell me that would say otherwise. If you say to me, I can't go on, and you want to take your life, I will not forgive you. She frowns on that because it's the biggest sin. God's not going to forgive you. He gave you a second chance 17 years ago. Are you going to go back on your word and disappoint him? No. But she did do something for me. It had significance. So tell me something. 
where are you now in your life? Have you found your happiness? I know you have a story to tell on that. (laughs) My mother had prayed to God and had said, I don't want to see my daughter suffer anymore. I see so much pain in her life after I left her. Because again, coming home to an empty house consumed me. I couldn't take the silence. I couldn't take the idea that there's nobody here to welcome me home. You know, you come home from work and she was there. We'd have dinner, we sit down together, we have conversation. I miss all of that. I don't have it anymore. Sometimes I'm, I don't want to go home because when I, when I come home, I'm going home to emptiness, to silence. So she had actually pleaded to God and said, look, I want my daughter to be happy. When I was down on the earth and I was alive, I saw the pain she went through. Three men treated her terribly. She went through so much heartbreak and pain, I was afraid for her. I don't know what she's going to be doing at that frame of mind. She's going to have these thoughts go through her head because, again, I kept putting myself on a schedule. One year, one year, one year. If I don't find happiness and love within one year, I'm just going to take my life. But then there was a sign from God, and he came down, and he said, Your mother asked me to do this for you. And I'm going to do it for you because I don't want to see a beautiful young woman like yourself go through any type of pain. He mentioned the date, May 2021. I said, what? What does that have to do with the pain I'm in now? May 2021 is the day that will be the happiest day of your life. You will find love. I said, what? You will find love. You will be connected by a man that I'm going to connect you to. You two will connect with each other May 2021. Trust me. Now, I didn't believe this at first. I said, wait a minute now. Am I hallucinating? No. May 2021 will change the both of your lives forever. You will come together and be as one. You'll be together. You will have the life that you both have longed for. You will get married. You'll have a family. You'll have everything you want and your mother will be happy. I'm going to do that. Now, again, I've told this, and I've mentioned this at the last podcast, people will don't connect with people. You know how people get connected to other people? Through God. God connects people to other people. God will find a man and a woman that's perfect for one another, to have a common ground, a common interest, and will connect them and fall in love. Now, a lot of people are not going to believe this, but it's true. And again, you don't have to be religious for God to have two people be connected. But he did that for me. That's why my life is different now. I have a purpose. I have someone who I care about. Who, who We care about each other. We love each other. We have so much in common. Our lives parallel one another. It is all I can say is our lives parallel. So that's good to hear. So you have a purpose in your life. You're not going to hurt yourself. If I resort to hurting myself, he would be hurt. And he had said to me, I don't want to lose you. Because if something happened to you, you actually think I would be able to go on it. But you have to. You're the love of my life. You're the only one that I want. And I told him the same thing. So again, my life with his life parallel one another. But see, I want him to see me through my eyes the pain that I had gone through because again it was pain 
it was pain, but I think a part of me knew that I was going to connect with someone. I just didn't know who it was going to be. But God led me to him. He brought us together, and I thank him. Amen. Thank you, Lord, for bringing us both together. So now we see you have a happy ending. Is there anything else you would like to tell the world before we wrap this up? For every one of you out there who's going through some type of struggle, obstacle, pain, you can get through it. How can you? Well, look at me as your prime example. Now, I've gone through everything in life, and I've struggled. I'm still struggling, but it's not going to stop me from living my best life yet. You can achieve your dreams, your goals. The key is not to give up and not to give in. Don't listen to people who are going to make you want to run for the hills. Don't listen to them. Block them out. You need to be around positive people. Now, I've always said this. The people that will stand beside you are your true friends. They will be the ones standing beside you. The people who are not your true friends, those are the ones that will not stand behind you and will put you down. You need to get rid of them. You have every right to walk away from people who are negative, who are people who have, who don't believe in you. So remember that. I enjoyed my time interviewing you. I think you're a classy woman. You're gifted. You're beautiful. You have a beautiful name. You're very inspiring. And I, I really believe you are a true survivor. Thank you for your time with me. Thank you for having me. So I'm going to let you guys go. That was part two of Trail of Tears. I hope you all listen. And I hope you can learn something from it. Until then, God bless all of you. Take care. Thank you.